Well, good morning. Uh, we're going to uh, we're going to be looking at uh, chapter twelve, verses four through eleven this morning, in, in the book of Hebrews, uh, um, we've been we've been going through the book of Hebrews for some time now, and we're coming into the the uh, final final uh, section of of uh, imperatives and admonishments uh, based upon the fact that Christ is better. Uh, the whole bo- the book basically says Christ is better, and then you can just fill in the blank of anything you want to put. He's better than it. That's pretty much, pretty much, uh, pretty much what this book has said. He is he is better. And as we came into chapter ten, uh, we have found out that through Christ we have been given access uh, to God the Father. Um, and and then in chapter eleven he showed us the rich heritage of those people of faith who preceded us. Now, who now stand as a mark uh, for us to look to. And then he, he goes on to tell us that the reality is we need to look to Jesus in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He says, look at Jesus. Uh, in the New American Standard, it says, fix your eyes on Jesus. He's to become our focal point. Uh, in other words, basically the idea is when you look around, don't compare yourself to other Christians. Compare yourself to Jesus. That's where you look. That's where you look. That's where that's where you look to see to see uh, to see to see the prime example, if you will. And then he went on to say that that you're you're to recall that Jesus endured the cross on your behalf. He endured hostility from sinners. Those are the things that he tells us in in, in chapter in the first part of chapter twelve. And then he, in cha- in verses three and four, he reminds us to not grow weary or faint-hearted in our struggle against sin. And with that backdrop, we come into this section here, which deals with the discipline of the Father. It's going to talk about discipline. That's what he's going to tell us. He's going to talk to us about the fact that God disciplines his sons, his children. The the term really is generic. It's men and women. Uh, I I have a feeling since I saw what the sermon title is for today, you're going to get a double dose of this, (laughs) probably from a different perspective, uh, since uh, Pastor Steve is going to deal with why Christians suffer. So you're going to get at least an introduction to that uh, in, in this text. Discipline, before we get into the text itself, discipline, the word discipline, as it is used in this, uh, in this section, and incidentally, in, eight, in these few verses, it's used nine times. Uh, the, the word is used nine times. It's used both as a noun and a verb, and, and it, uh, it, conveys, it conveys the idea of not getting taken to the woodshed, although it includes that. It means to be trained. That's what the word means. Its base root word means child, and it refers to the, tr- the bringing up of children, the rearing of children. That's really what this word deals with. It talks about, <clears throat> excuse me, it talks about the role of a parent or a teacher to train, to correct, to educate, to develop a child to maturity. That's what this word deals with. So it deals a broad scope of uh, of uh, of, uh, uh, of of disciplines. I mean, in fact. If most of us or any of you have a profession to, to get into that profession, you learn the disciplines of that profession, did you not? Well, that's the way this word is used. It's how you are trained. That training includes correction. And this kind of focuses on correction, but it's not 
solely focused on correction. And what it is saying here is, is that God uses discipline, training, correction, education in the life of a believer, his children. That's, that's basically what he's going to tell us in this text. Uh, now, you need to understand, too, there's a difference here. Discipline speaks of, of rearing your child, bringing them up, training them, correcting them, bringing them to maturity. It does not convey judgment when, it, when, it is, when, it's, when it's a woodshed case. It doesn't convey judgment. Believers don't face judicial judgment, but they do face discipline. And there's a difference, and you need to understand that. You're not being judged by God. Jesus took the judgment at the cross of Calvary. But God does discipline us in this life. It's part of the sanctification process. Now, believers can face pain, consequences for their sin, but it's still not judgment. Jesus paid that price. Romans 8.1 There is now therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. We do not face God as a judge. We face Him as a Father. That's, that's the idea of this text. Psalms, or excuse me, Proverbs 13.1 A wise fa- son accepts his father's discipline. You might also look at Ephesians 6.4 in Revelation 3.19, we're going to look at Revelation 3.19 a couple of times, if my text stays in place um, today. Uh, Revelation 3.19 says, Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Uh, that's, that's the idea that is uh, expressed in this text. So, before we get into the text, are there uh, any prayer requests this morning? Yes, ma'am. On the 27th of this month? Okay. Who was it again? David Bant. Her name's Terry. Terry Corbett. Huh? Kathy Bajuk. Oh, yeah, I know. Kathy Bajuk has got surgery. We're not quite sure when. It may be this next week. On uh, She's getting a knee replacement, right? Yeah. Knee replacement. So, anyway. This weekend, she had it scheduled, and she was looking forward to having a not death trip, but my grandma's funeral is probably going to be this weekend. So um, she's going to need to get flights changed and all that stuff. So just pray that God will smooth that over and that he'll make sure that she gets where she needs to be on time without it being, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars maybe. Yeah. And that get canceled? Yeah, that too. Michael, would you open us this morning? Lord, we just thank uh, for this day and uh, that we're able to gather here to study your word and uh, to be disciplined and uh, well. Uh, thank you for the uh, country you've given us, which we have uh, freedoms that others do not know that you've granted, and that uh, we may spend this time. Uh, not only celebrating, but even more so celebrating you and giving you glory. We pray uh, to those who've been blessed, we uh, lift up concerns that you just watch over them, 
and uh, deliver them in uh, that uh, honor and praise name. Amen. So we're going to uh, we're going to begin this morning by looking at the uh, discipline comes from a love uh, from a loving father in verses four through six. Uh, before we get into four through six, just just as a reminder, in verse two, Jesus, we're told that Jesus is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. He is the example. He is the one we are to fix our eyes on. Uh, and he calls us to consider what he endured on our behalf and not to grow weary or f- become faint-hearted, not to, not to give up, not to kick back, not to stop, not to, not to disengage, if you were. And, and for the most part, some of these believers, it would appear in the book of Hebrews, were doing that. They were kind of, eh, I just can't take any more. You know, that's kind of where they were. They had, they had not, and, and he's going to talk about this as we get into verse 4, uh, but they had faced, they had faced some persecution. Chapter 10 tells us this. They had lost property. They had been, they had had things taken from them. Some of them had even been imprisoned. But all of this was at the hands of their countrymen, uh, other Jews. Uh, they hadn't faced Rome yet. <laughs> and, and I mean yet, because that's coming. Uh, but he, he moves in here to verse 4, and he says to them, he says to them, In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Not, repo- uh, not come to the, the point of shedding blood. In the previous chapter, uh, we had, a, we had uh, the metaphor of a race. That was what was being talked about there. We looked at athletes in a race, and how, how you prepare for a race, and how you dress for a race, and all the things that go on to a race. He switches the metaphor slightly here, and now he's talking about the boxing ring. And that's, that's, what, that's the picture that he's giving here. He's giving the picture of a boxer who is taking blows to the face and has made him bloody. It may seriously injure him or even kill him. That's really the metaphor that he's using as he, as he moves into this, 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 uh, <clears throat> into this section. Uh, these are things that those people would have understand, understood in those days. Uh, we understand it too as well if you've ever watched the boxing match. But at uh, but any rate... That's that's what he's that's what he's talking about here, and he, he points to, to the fact that they haven't faced martyrdom. That's really what he's saying to them. You haven't come to the point that you have faced death. Uh, that's 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 the idea he wants them to understand. Uh, you haven't in in your in your defense of the gospel, in your proclamation of the gospel. You haven't faced death. You haven't faced the possibility of being martyred at this point. Yeah, you've had some suffering. Uh, chapter 10, verses 32 through 34, went on about the, 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 uh, the suffering that they did face. The text seems to indicate that that may have lightened up a bit. They still were excommunicated from family for the most part, exempt, uh, excuse me, uh, ex- excluded from the commonwealth of Israel in that sense, in the, in the, in the uh, corporate worship and those kind of things. And some of them would seem to have been trying to keep a foot in both, in both, uh, both arenas. But he's saying, you haven't come to the point that somebody's going to kill you because of your faith. You haven't come to that point. You haven't come to the point that you've had to bleed because of your faith. And he, he puts that... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, any, 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 I think it, it's a reminder. I think that here it's a reminder that, you know, Christianity can be costly in this life. Uh, it has been costly 
for a long time. In fact, we even look back in the, into the Jewish, uh, the Jewish uh, uh, hall of faith that he's given to us, how many of them were martyred. He talks about those, the ones that died because of their allegiance to God Almighty. Jesus said, you killed the prophets. That's what he, he, he accused uh, the Jewish leadership of. And, and here he is, basically, he is basically saying, you haven't faced martyrdom yet, but you may. And that's always a reality. That's a reality for all of us. Uh, that's, that's a continuing reality. And, and, and Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, know that it, was, know that it has hated me before it hated you. I mean, what's the big surprise? If they hate your leader, they're going to hate you too. That's, that's, that shouldn't come as a shock to anyone. And that's kind of what he's telling them here. He says, look, you haven't faced... Jesus went through all of this for you. Don't get faint-hearted. Don't lose, don't lose step. Don't kick back. Don't, don't try to shrink into the, into, the, into the woodwork. You haven't faced anything yet. Is in reality what he's saying to them. And then he goes on and he, and he says in verse 5, he says, he says, and have you forgotten the exhortation, uh, the exhortation that was addressed to you as sons? And we're going to stop at that point. He says, he says, have you forgotten? Basically what he's saying to him is, have you forgotten what the scriptures say? Understand, these are Hebrews. These are people who grew up in the Jewish traditions. They would have been taught the Torah. Uh, they would have... They would have heard the Psalms and the Proverbs. They probably knew them very well. And they probably knew the proverb they're about to hear, again, very well. It was embedded in their, in their minds. Uh, and he's saying, have you forgotten the scriptures? Have you just let them go? Do you not think about them? Very often, I think that's where we get. I, I know it's been true of me. When I get into a pity party... You know, that why me, Lord, and blah, 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 and la, 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 and all this kind of stuff. And then somewhere along the lines, these words generally, these are the words that generally pop into my head. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? You know, that's usually the scripture I remember. Somewhere else, it may take me three days to get there, but that, you know, that's the one I kind of remember. Uh, but he's saying, he said, have you forgot the scriptures? Have you forgot what God has spoken to you? That's what he's saying to them here. Did you just let that go out of your memory? Did you just put it aside? Did, is it just a book that carries... Well, they didn't have Bibles like we do, but nevertheless. Is it just a book you set on the shelf and it's got a layer of dust on it? I pulled out one of my commentaries this morning to look something up and I noticed... I haven't used this one in a while. I had a layer of dust across the top of it. My Bible doesn't, however. Uh, but at any rate, he says... He says, you've neglected the scriptures? Is that what has, ha has happened to you? Back in chapter 5, verse 12, he had accused them of being slow to learn. Well, you don't learn very fast if you don't read the book. You know, if you don't do the work, you don't learn. That's, that's the bottom line. They were slow to learn. They had neglected the scriptures. Uh, it hampers growth. If you don't stay in the word, you don't grow. That's, that's the reality. It's the tool, tool by which we know God. It is his revelation. God condescended to, to reveal himself to us, and he put it in writing so that we could understand it. That's what the Bible is. It's the revelation of God. Somebody asked you what the Bible is about? It's about God. 
Ultimately, that's what it's about. In the beginning, God, and then it goes from there. Incidentally, this is why we're called to look to Jesus, verse 2. Then he reads, then he gives to them this exhortation from the Old Testament, from the scriptures. The the text is Psalms, or excuse me, Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 through 12. It says, My sons, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when he reproved, when, when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastens every son whom he receives. Now, if you go in your text to to Psalm, uh, Proverbs, I don't know why I want to keep calling it Psalms, but everything we've done so far in this book has been from Psalms. Now we went to Proverbs. But anyway, uh, this is a very well-used text in the New Testament, incidentally, uh, or referred to or somehow alluded to throughout the New Testament, Proverbs 3. Uh, but but if you read that in your Bible, you're going to find a little bit of variation in the second verse. This was from the Septuagint. The Septuagint didn't always translate the same way the Hebrew text translated. If you have a New American Standard, uh, it's going to it's going to say something about uh, he, that he chastens sons whom he delights in, and that means he approves of. In other words, those who are really sons get corrected. Ultimately, it's what it means, which is the idea here. Uh, which is which is the same idea, uh, but this is from the Septuagint. That as it's written here, all throughout the book of Hebrews, he used the Septuagint for the Old Testament passages. Septuagint, if you don't know, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew text, and so so we have some variation. Uh, but but basically, uh, he is saying to them, uh, he's saying to them that they need to learn obedience not to not to not to do regard lightly the discipline of the lord is the is the idea here and they're reminded in in chapter 2 verses 10 through 11 in his incarnation uh, jesus learned obedience 5 8 through 9 tells us that uh, we should expect to be corrected we should expect to be rebuked we should expect to be challenged in in, in our growth process. That's what parents are supposed to do with their children, and that's what God does with us. He, he uses the word sons, and it, of course, means sons and daughters. Uh, and the word, and it's, it's a word that is used to encourage God's children. He's, he's reminding them of whom they belong to. Uh, you don't call someone who's not, well, you might. I mean, there are people who do that. But, but the reality is, Michael is my son, you know, uh, any of the other males in this room are not, <laughs> but he is my son. Now, in God's perspective, we're all his children if we are, if we are putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And, and of course, this, so this is a term of endearment. This is a term that is saying to you, this is to whom you belong. This is dad speaking to you in a real sense here. And he, he goes on, he says, do not, do not regard lightly. Um, this is the idea of what he is talking about earlier when he said not to lose heart or, be, or not to lose uh, not to become faint-hearted or become weary that's that's the idea here uh, it's 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 to recognize that discipline comes directly from God that's the point here the the point here is God is the one who is disciplining he has a purpose in that. 
He has meaning for it. It's to make you more like Jesus. That's, that's the idea that's being expressed here. He, he says, he says we're, to take, we're, to take, we're to take this seriously. It's to be regarded as coming from, the, from, the God, uh, from God himself. And whether it's blessing or correction, we're to understand that. Job chapter, chapter 2, verse 10. <clears throat> in verse 9, Job's, uh, Job's wife comes to him and with all the stuff that has happened to him, and she says, why do you hold fast to your integrity, curse God, and die? You know, in other words, you know, you've, you've wrecked our lives, and curse God and die. And his response to her is, is quite, a, quite interesting. He says, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and not also receive evil? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. The point Job is making here is both come from the hand of God. Incidentally, evil here is, is a word that means adversity or calamity. Is, is, it can be translated either of those ways. That's the idea. When things befall you that are unpleasant, they are directly from God. When blessing comes your way, they're from God also. And we receive both. And we receive them from the hands of a loving Father. That's what, that's what Job understood. That's how he understood it. Uh, it. We're to keep in mind that God really only means good for, for us. Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good for those who love, Je- who love God and are called according to His purposes and so on and so forth. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Those are God's plans. Uh, Those are God's plans. In the course of that, may need correction and may need discipline. Uh, May, well, it will. Uh, You know, it's it's an assurity. It's going to happen. I guess we have come short of recording devices, so now I have to record on a phone, and it keeps running around here. And then he goes on and he says in verse 6, he says, he says uh, for the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. This is, this is the idea of parenting here, that he's saying here. Uh, discipleship is a privilege to those God loves. It's a sign of acceptance of his children. When God corrects you, you know, you don't go, I don't know, maybe you do, but you probably would get in trouble if you went down the street and corrected their kids. You know, that don't belong to you. Well, God doesn't correct the kids that don't don't belong to him. He corrects the ones that do. Did I say that right? Yeah, I did, I think. Uh, But anyway, that's the idea here. He corrects those those whom he loves. Uh, Jesus, as we read earlier, Jesus told the church of Laodicea, uh, that uh, that in in Revelation uh, three nineteen uh, that he disciplines those he loves and therefore they should repent. That was that was the that was the idea here. This is this is how God God operates. Some texts use the word punish in six uh, B. Um, the EVS uh, the ESV I mean uses chasten. The NASB uses scourge. So does the King James. Actually, I guess they say scourgeth, but anyway. Uh, scourge? Scourge. Really? Yeah. 
Okay. I said scourge. I said scourge. Okay. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, uh, but it, here it is not the idea of punishment as a judgment. Uh, Jesus took that at Calvary, Psalms 22 1, Matthew 27 46, Mark uh, 15 37. The idea is corrective measures to produce growth and faith and trust and demonstrates his love for us. Incidentally, it's kind of interesting that that word, that word there literally means to whip. It's literally what it means. It means to flog or to, to with a whip is, is, is the idea. And if you look at Matthew 10, 7 or 23, 34, you will see that the uh, Hebrews used flogging as a means of discipline. Uh, it's in both of those instances we see they they flog. It was it was not an uncommon practice. So it means that uh, despite the world we live in today, corporal punishment is somewhat godly when it's administered properly. That's that's the idea here. That's the idea here. I, t- I told you before when you know when I, when I went to grammar school, the vice pre- principal had a paddle in his office that stood this tall, and it had holes in it. And it said, I forgot what his name is, what his name was, but it says, Mr. Smith's Board of Education. And on the other side, it said to be applied to the seat of learning. <laughs> you know what? You stayed in line because you didn't want to face that paddle because he used it. But anyway, that, that's, that's the idea here. Seven through nine, discipline is evidence of sonship. In verse seven, it goes on to say, it was for discipline that you, uh, that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which you, ha- uh, which all have participated, then you are an illegitimate child and not a son. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who discipline us, and we respect them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? So here we have evidence that basically discipline gives evidence to the fact that we are children of God. That's, that's ultimately what he is saying here. He says, enduring hardship is discipline. Is God treating you like one of his children? He's treating you like a son. He's, he wants the best for you, and he does what it takes. One of my kids gave me some trouble one time. Believe it or not, you know. If you know my family, you know which one I'm talking about. But at any rate... I told him one day, I said, you know, someday when we get older, we may be friends, but now I'm dad. <laughs> so go to your room. I'll be there in a minute. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the reality here. Uh, and that's probably the problem with our society today. That doesn't happen. We're to keep in mind that it comes from God, and, and we are to accept it as a son. We're to look beyond the hardship and realize that God is at work in our lives. That's what discipline is all about. Uh, discipline is all about that. Uh, it, is, it, is, it is because God is at work. Now, this sentence in verse 7, it is for discipline, is, is commentators have done it in three different ways. And I'm just going to mention this to you. But depending on what, what text you're using, you're going to see this. If you're using, if you use a King James, it says, if we endure, it makes it a conditional sentence. 
it's basically saying, if we endure, then this is true, which means that if you don't endure, then this is not true. That, that's the idea. There's very weak support for that translation. That's really one of the places where the, where the King James missed the translation. It's, it's not, that's not a good translation. The other two are okay. I think one's better than the other. Uh, the, the Revised Standard Version, the NASB, and the, um, the ESV all use it as a, a statement of fact. It is for. In other words, this is why God does it. This, that's all there is to it. This is why he does it. It's a statement of fact, which I believe is the way it should be translated. Now, the other possibility, and the NIV uses this one, is, is that it's a command, and it, in that case it says, endure hardship. There's justification for that as well, uh, that, it, that it's a command. This is what you should do. As a son, you should do this. I won't argue with either of those two, but I tend to believe it's a, just a statement of fact, that it should be understood as a statement of fact. The readers, the idea is, whether it's a command or a statement of fact, you're to endure the hardship. That's, that's the bottom line. Uh, it's not a conditional statement of choice. It is, this is what sons do. They endure the hardship. My, uh, I had one, one of my sons, which again, those that know my family know which one this is, uh, but uh, at any rate, it's not him. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's not Mark. <laughs> it's the one just older than him. <laughs> uh, but uh, he uh, had an assignment. I think it was in junior high. And I got a call from the teacher, and this is at a time when this one was extremely ill, and uh, 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 we really didn't need other kids acting up, you know. And... Um, this one had decided that uh, uh, Timothy will go unnamed through this, through this. But at any rate, um, he decided that he wasn't going to do this assignment because it was boring. And he didn't need to do it. And the teacher called, the teacher, I sent home a note, I think, initially, and said that, uh, that he was going to get detention because he hadn't done the assignment. And so I, uh, I got a hold of the teacher and I said, you know, Here's our family situation. We have a child in the hospital. We don't know what's going to happen with him. And uh, um, I really can't have him staying after school because we have no way of coming and getting him. And so she, I said, but here's what I'm going to do. I said, I'm going to take the assignment you gave him, and I'm going to triple it. And he's going to sit in my office and do that assignment until he is done with it. And then he's going to type it out on my computer so that it's all nice and neat and readable. And then he's going to turn it into you, and I don't expect you to give him a grade. I just want the accountability. And the teacher says, Mr. Adamson, I will leave the punishment to you. <laughs> I think I did that one right. <laughs> one of not too many. But at any rate, I did that one right. That's what he says. He says, he says, Fathers discipline children. That's, that's what they do. They discipline for their own benefit, for their good. And then he says, he goes on in, in, verse, in verse 7, and he says, For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? Now, i got to tell you, that's a remark that in our world, all of you ought to be going, well, the, everybody in my neighborhood and half the school and blah, 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 because all you got to do is, 
is open uh, uh, one of the news deals and you'll find time after time that some kid got in trouble at school and so the mom is posting all kinds of junk online and running down to the school and blaming the teacher for the kid's misbehavior. And it's like, man, I'd take the mom out and whip her. But anyway, uh, but, uh, but, but there's, there's the bottom, you know, we, we live in a world where parenting has lost its meaning. That's the world we live in. Understand, this is the Hebrew world. This is the world of the first century. In the first century Hebrew, dad was head of the home. He was in charge of the education. Oh, mom helped in it. Yes, the Proverbs are filled with, listen to the instruction of your mother. You know? Uh, But dad was responsible. He was the one held accountable for it. Both parents were involved. Don't misunderstand that. And and that that was the picture. And God saying, that's the way I operate. I'm the head of this family, and I discipline as needed. That's, that's, that's the idea here. And, and, and it says, what child would I leave undisciplined? Why would I not discipline them? You know, why would I, why would I exempt them? Just, just as a matter of fact, this struck me. So I looked it up, so you're going to have to listen to me. But, but I looked up fatherlessness in this country. You know that as of 19, uh, 2020, 25% of American homes have no father in them. There's no dad. And in the grades, in the grades 1 through 12, the number is 39%. Children in the grades 1 through 12. Teachers, you wonder why you're having such a hard time. There, there it is. If you look at it ethnically, it gets even worse. But uh, and you understand the issues that we have in our in our world today. Some of those numbers actually shocked me. But at any rate, I don't. We won't go there. But that's the reality. That's the reality of the world we live in. But human fathers, according to the scriptures, were to train their children. And in the Hebrew world, they trained them in the scriptures. They trained them in the traditions of their faith. They trained them in a trade. They taught them how to do things. Now, I was a heavy-duty truck mechanic. None of my kids followed that. I'm glad they didn't. Uh, but I can remember working on mom's car one day, and I turned, I turned around to get something, and when I came back, the grill of my station wagon had every screwdriver I owned stuck through it because my sons were trying to help me. <laughs> Fortunately, they weren't long enough. They didn't get the real long ones, thing. But, but nevertheless, sometimes you don't want that kind of help. But nevertheless, that's what they did. They, tra- they t- trained them in a trade. They also trained them to respect authority and national heritage. Those are the things they trained them in. And, and that's, what, that's what he's saying here. What father doesn't do that? That's, that's, that's the idea. That's, that's the job. The point is God himself is educating his children. The, reader, the readers apparently had been making light of that training, and therefore they needed this, um, this admonishment. One commentator said this, God trains them as sons so that they may 
take their place next to the Son of God. That's, that's, that's the idea here that he wants to express. Then he goes on to verse 8. And in verse 8, he says this. He says, If you are left without discipline in which all have particip- participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. And what he's saying here is he's saying, if God, even if you're in the confines of the church, uh, or in, and you are receiving no correction, no discipline, no training at the hands of God, then you're phony. You're not legitimate. You're not part of his family. If you're part of of his family, he's dealing with you. He's training you. He's working with you. He's disciplining you. He's teaching you to be skillful in some way. We're all gifted and he trains us in those gifts that we can use them to benefit one another. That's that's all of that all that stuff plays right right across from the from the uh, from the world uh, or from the uh, from the uh, the world we live in as as parents. The, the point here is that all true sons are disciplined. Illegitimate ones are not. And, and in this case, he uses that title to refer to non-believers. That, that's the idea here. That they're non-believers. Careful training was the norm. To refuse or, to ne- or, or reject that training was considered rebellion. And they, were, and, the, and, they were not, and they were not to take the discipline lightly because then they were acting just like the illegitimate children that weren't being trained at all. That, that's the picture here. Verse 9, he goes on. He goes on with this, and he develops it more. And he says, besides this, you, you, uh, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, as, and we respected them. I want to stop there. He says, first of all, he talks about earthly fathers. The setting is a family. It's a household. It's the father's head of the household. It's training the children how how to behave. And the children are to respond to the father's instruction with respect. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, Deuteronomy 5.16, honor thy mother and father. Comes with benefit, a long life. To dishonor your mother and father had another turn to it. You got stoned. It was serious with God. It was very serious with God. Uh, he took this very seriously. Uh, I, I like this quote. Since I have three sons of the five who are over six foot, and I'm, I was 5'11", but I think I'm 5'10 now. <laughs> seems to be getting shorter as my age gets taller. But anyway, at any rate, I like this quote. It says, a father is someone you look up to no matter how tall you grow. <laughs> you know my wife really likes that one because they're all taller than her <laughs> but uh, but at any rate that's 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 the idea here he says he says he says this is what you're to do uh, you're you're to respect those parents and and those parents train you as best they can and he says of your heavenly father how much more respect is due notice notice the rest of chapter 9 he says besides this we we have, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respect them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? 
That's, that's the question he asked. He asked it as a question. It's a rhetorical question. The answer is, of course. Uh, but he says, he says, our Heavenly Father, how much more should we respect Him? How much more is due Him? The idea of obedience that results in t- eternal life. In note, uh, <clears throat> as we already said, a total rebellious child was stoned to death. Deuteronomy 21, 18, 21. Uh, <laughs> In the church, we have uh, another example in a little different view, but a little different setting. But it's 1 Corinthians 11.3 where it talks about the abuse of the communion table. And he says, some of you are sick and some are dead because you've abused it. You know, there are certain things in our respect toward God that are super serious. We're not to take him lightly. Jesus is not our good buddy. You know, the... uh, the Jesus movement of the beach. I grew up in Venice Beach. In Venice Beach, incidentally, Kathy and I are graduates of Venice High School. Uh, but at any, but at any rate, uh, during those days, you had the Jesus Jesus movement on that beach, and, and everybody was. They look at they they went around. You know, they're a bunch of dippy hippies. And anyway, they ran around. If any of you were in that day, I apologize. But nevertheless, I wasn't. I had no long hair. I did the military thing anyway. But uh, but. Uh, 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 you know, Jesus was their good buddy. He was their friend. You know, well, Jesus is a friend of sinners, but the fact of the matter is that's not the way we, we see him. Uh, the closest human being to Jesus was probably, arguably, the Apostle John. And when he saw the glorified Christ, he ran over and hugged him and said, good buddy, how are you? No, he mm-hmm. fell at his feet as if he was dead. Mm-hmm. And that's where you will be probably, too. That's the idea. Is to, there's to show respect. Psalms 119, verse 165. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. That's that's the idea here. That's the idea. Uh, The sons have eternal life from the Father. And discipline, discipline is the evidence of that sonship. If God is dealing with you, because you're his son. If God is dealing with you, it's because he's your child and he loves you and he wants you to be the best you can be. That's, that's the idea here. And then finally, discipline has an eternal value. Verses, uh, verses, uh, verses 10 <clears throat> through 11. Speaking here again about uh, earthly fathers, he's gone back to earthly fathers in the first part of verse 10, he says, for the discipline for us is of a short time, as it seems best to them. Understand that. What he's saying here is the fact is earthly fathers do the best they can. That's what it says. I appreciate that, because I think I did the best I could, but it always wasn't really good. One time my daughter, now this is, this is, this is one, was a lesson for me. She was just a little squirt, and she decided to do some artwork. There are five doorways in our hallway. No, there's six. And so she got a pencil and decorated each door. So my brilliant idea was, I'll make her clean it off. Well, she was about two at the time. So the reality is, I cleaned it off. And when we got all done, she says to me, Dad, that was fun. Can we do it again? Sometimes dad's discipline, earthly dad's, is not totally appropriate, you know. Uh, I figured out that one didn't work for me. 
<laughs> I trained her to write on the door, <laughs> but it, and then I would clean it. <laughs> but uh, but uh, the fact of the matter is, the fact of the matter is, is that's the job of a dad. He's supposed to do his best at discipline, at correction, at training, at bringing them up. That's that's what he's saying here. And he says that, that that that's a limited time period. That's not an eternal kind of operation. Uh, children are to grow up and go away. Uh, ultimately, that's that's the idea. They make lives of their own. They become adults. Uh, they may establish their own families. They get into careers. Whatever it is, uh, but but that's that's what we're that's our job. Our job is to prepare them for life. And so it's for a short time. That's what he's saying here. He's saying he's saying he's saying to me. He's saying <clears throat> he's saying. For they discipline us for a short time as it seems best to them. In other words, a good father has a limited time period to which he raises his children to the best of his ability. That's what he's saying. And I appreciate that text personally because it not always do you do it really well. They make mistakes. They don't always discipline and love. Sometimes it's out of anger. Uh, they don't always... They don't always uh, they're not always consistent. You try to be consistent, but you're not always. There are those days you're tired and you just let it go. And you decide, I don't want to deal with it. I just want to sit in front of the TV and zone out. You know, that happens. Uh, but but at the end, in the end of it, uh, earthly fathers do the best they can. That's, that's what it says. A good earthly father does the best job he can at raising his children. But God's discipline is a little bit different. Because then he goes on to say, but he, meaning God, disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. There's a purpose to God's discipline. The purpose to his discipline is to bring you into likeness with him, holiness. Now you will never meet that standard in this life. Understand that. Positionally, you're already there because in Christ you have been made holy. But in sanctification, in the process of living, we don't achieve that level of holiness, but the process is to make us more and more like Jesus, change from glory to glory, is the idea. Is the idea. And that's what, that's what this text is saying. He's saying that he disciplines us for our good. He doesn't do it, he doesn't do it out of anger. He does it always in love. He's always patient toward us. And with God, it doesn't end when you become an adult either. You know, I may be 74 years old, but I'm still under the discipline of the Heavenly Father. You know, that's, that's what this says. That's what this says. Uh, it doesn't end with, uh, with adulthood. And His discipline has a purpose that, that we share in His holiness. God's, disciple, uh, God's d- discipline produces holiness. Ephesians 3.19 says that we may be filled up to the fullness of God. Romans 8.28 says to be, to be formed to the image of His Son. That's the purpose here that he's talking about. Uh, that, that we would be, uh, that we would, and he does this through discipleship, I gave a list of, of texts there, a bunch of them from Leviticus, but I want to look at the one from 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1, <clears throat> 15 and 16 says, 
But as we who are called, uh, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That's that's the purpose here. That's what God is about in in correcting us. And then in verse verse eleven, he goes on and he concludes by saying this. He says, "For the mo- for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness." righteousness to those who have been trained simply discipline is not pleasant when it's corrective it never is it's not pleasant it's necessary but it's not pleasant and and he admits that he simply says he simply says for the moment all discipline seems painful years and years ago we bought a house we still live in that house I don't move around much. We've been there since 1975. Uh, but, uh, 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 but when I bought that house, I had my own business. And when you're self-employed, getting loans is a pain in the rear. Uh, you know, because they, they have to check all this stuff different from when you just get a paycheck and you have somebody that says, yeah, that's what he makes. So you have to submit all this stuff. Well, the people that were selling the house had their own mortgage company, you know, and I wasn't too experienced in this sort of thing, so I just did what they told me, and they came back and said, well, you don't qualify. And so we, but then in the meantime, the people said, well, this mortgage company has been messing up all of our loans, and we've changed mortgage companies, so we need you to resubmit to this other mortgage company. So I did. The other mortgage company said, why didn't they give, why didn't you give them all this information you gave us? And I said, because that's not what they asked for. You know, that was the bottom line. Well, what had happened in the meantime is the house went up $1,500 in price. Now, I had been renting the house from them and living in it. So they've been making their money off it all along. So I, I really didn't have an extra $1,500 back then. So I diligently prayed that God would, uh, would change their mind. So I went over and I talked with them. I kind of explained everything. They looked at everything. And the guy goes, yeah, you're right. You shouldn't have to pay the price increase. The genius here, no, wait a minute. The genius here went home and says, I convinced them. I paid the $1,500 and learned the lesson. And learned the lesson. You understand? It was painful, but I learned the lesson. Don't take credit for what God has done. (laughs) Don't ever do that. It's painful. That one was painful in the pocketbook, at least, anyway. But the point, the point here is just simply this. In physical life, medical treatment doesn't feel good, does it? You get an operation, you take pain pills afterwards because you hurt, uh, you know. Uh, when you go through pro- uh, procedures, you know, how many of you love to go to the dentist? <laughs> you know, whatever it is. You just, you just don't like it. It's painful. But in the end, your health is corrected. Your teeth are fixed. Your bones are straightened. Whatever, whatever has to be done. Uh, you become healthier. Well, it's, it's the same idea here. Uh, the same idea here is that spiritual surgery, i.e. discipline, results in the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That's what he's saying to us. That's what he's saying to us. You know, spiritual surgery is not fun. It hurts sometimes. Probably most of the time. Maybe all the time, but it hurts. But in the end, 
it, re, it results in the peaceful fruit of righteousness. We become closer to God. We, ex, we, we advance in our holiness. Our sanctification is still in process, but we're getting stronger. That, that's the point he's making here. The point he's making here is if you're a child of God, don't be surprised if you get disciplined. In fact, if you're not being disciplined, and understand discipline is a broad term, you're being trained, you're being educated, you're being corrected, uh, you're being taught something, whatever, whatever the case is in there, if that's not happening, then you're not a child of God. And maybe you better check your salvation. But on the other hand, if you are, understand that it's God at work in you to make you the human being he wants you to be. Any comments or questions this morning? How do we do a time? Three minutes. Okay, let's pray. <clears throat> Lord God, we uh, we come to you this morning as 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 thankful children. Thankful that we are in your family. Thankful that you, by your grace and and your love and your mercy. And through the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf, that we can come into your presence this morning, that you hear us, that you accept us. We're accepted right into your very throne room. And then in all of that, Lord, you are at process working in us to make us better, to draw us closer to the likeness of Jesus Christ, to be more conformed to him that maybe on that moment when we translate into eternity, it won't have to be quite such a big change. And that we can, uh, like Enoch, walk into heaven. And we look forward to that day, and we thank you, and we praise you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.